0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And welcome in. As they say, sometimes you save the best for last. And this is Hunt Fish Talk. Keith Lusher, host of North Shore Fishing Report. And Wendy Billiard, president of Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association, join us our a roundtable discussion of issues of the day pertaining to sportsmen and sportswomen. Keith, how are you this morning?
2: I'm doing just fine, Don. Beautiful day we got going. Great interview with uh, the Flyway Federation. We need to hear more about that.
1: Absolutely. And, Wendy, what are you doing down in Dulage?
3: Good morning. Could we have not had a better, I mean, more perfect weather week? Mm-hmm.
1: The weather well, was it could have been. This some thing. of the offshore people were complaining. Martha was complaining this morning. She's the fighting. wind. Yeah, the wind. But outside of that, it was really nice. I had an offshore trip Thursday, and it was kind of laid down. It was really nice out there. Pretty blue water, pretty blue skies, uh, just really some good weather. And we've been due for it. This has been a kind of a late-hanging winter we've had here. Mm-hmm.
3: It was The guides here, it it didn't stop them. I mean, there were reports everywhere, trout slams and reds galore, and they somehow managed to fight through the, the elements of the wind and some muddy water here and there, but for the most part, the fishing's just on fire down here.
1: Well, that's good because I I got a trip in Cocodree not too far from there this coming week. And, you know, you can't hardly go wrong with a full moon weekend in May with a 1.5 tidal range. Uh, Unless you're fishing in that dirty Mississippi River water, you're bound to catch some speckled trout. And unfortunately, the reports, Keith, as I'm sure you're aware of, for trout are not good over on the eastern side of the state.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're seeing some changes now and, um, I don't know what's going to happen if this spillway thing is going to be a normal thing. And, uh, you know, if this lake's gonna, uh, it's slowly changing and, and maybe this is, this is what we need to start focusing on is more freshwater, you know, fishing up here on the North Shore. Of course, we still have the Wrigley's. We still got the ICW, Biloxi Marsh, but, um, man, we were spilling for a while. Those, those trout coming up, you know, as far as shoot, they'd come out all the way to manshack but, um, we will see, as uh, they say, we will see and see if we can clear this out and uh get it maybe maybe reclaim our summer, maybe get a little salinity under the lake um, we've We've been known to catch some red- redfish along the shoreline and, and along the coast lake down midsummer, so maybe we can reclaim our saltwater fishing for a little while.
3: Don, were you talking more about down at the mouth of the Mississippi River? Down that, in that area no, I'm of in-
1: talking about uh, Lake Pontchartrain, Lake Bourne, okay. uh, you know areas there that normally you get a nice little run on, on big specs. but uh, the report Mike Gallo and I uh, talked to Deadly Dudley and some other fishermen and they've kind of changed their tactics. If you're going to take trips out, it's going to be for redfish, sheephead, drum, uh, trouts almost non-existent in that, in that area around the, the twin spans and I-10 bridge. Uh, and, in fact, all the way down, uh, Robbie Campo at Shell Beach said, you know, the further east you go, you escape from that river water, you're going to find pockets of fish in them. But you're wasting right. your time looking for trout in some of that fresh water." He said he can't even keep bait live in the water down there. It's so fresh.
3: Well, I mean, you know, the Mississippi River went up again. And so, of course, you know, uh, Keith mentioned opening the Bonacare again. but. You know, typically we don't do that twice in the year. So this is like a second push of high water coming down the Mississippi and the Atchafalaya rivers. That's not never, common. Time of year. Yeah, th- yeah that's not yeah. common. So well, it makes it's going to have
1: uh, an impact on the summer fishing for sure. You know, and depending on how much longer it stays open. And from what I'm told, they've had some torrential rains up both here up the Mississippi River Basin. We still got a lot more to go.
3: Yes, yeah, the I wettest, think we, we do. winter,
1: it's, I think, up north.
3: It's also um, impacting my work with the monitoring of the prionotary warbler nest boxes because over around um, Lake Palord, those boat launches there are influenced by the water height of the Atchafalaya River, and so the launches are closed. I can't, we can't get out there to do our work. The water's just hmm. so unbelievably high. Actually, it's higher this week than it was in the first river peak whenever that was in March. Mm. It, the water's higher well, now than it was two months ago.
1: Well, there's some people calling for opening up the Morganza, you know, and then mm. once that's open and the carry we run out of spillways. There's nowhere else to put it after that. So, you know, hopefully right. it'll, we'll, we'll quit getting these rains and we'll get this water out of here and kind of get back to some type of normalcy. But, you know, right now it's, it's it's good around the Grand Isle area, Fouchon area. They, they're doing very well on speckled trout there. i got a pretty good report from Calcasieu. So it's really down there, you know, on the east side of the Mississippi River for the most part that's really taking it on the chin as far as the speckled trout. But there's a larger issue with speckled trout in Louisiana, and that is that report, that preliminary report that came out earlier this year that our speckled trout population has for years – and currently is overfished, and if regulations uh, are needed, uh, there's going to have to be some steps. How stringent? We don't know yet. That'll be taken. Uh, We share kind of the same dilemma with Alabama, which is one state over from us, and they uh, had some alarming news, too, and, you know, they they have had a tremendous increase in the amount of pressure on their speckled trout and their flounder population. They went from 50,000 Inshore fishing trips in the early '90s to 500,000 in 2011 that's ten times the effort they attribute that to the high fuel costs uh, they restricted the bag limits they just they almost virtually killed the red snapper fishing industry until the la Creole and the accounting method came back where there were more days and more of uh, the quota was uh, a bigger quota was allocated but a lot of those offshore anglers both uh, recreational And charter captains uh, turned their sights on inshore, which means speckled trout and flounder. Uh, During that time, they said it increased the the harvest 600 percent. But in 2014, it said that the landings dropped. And that is an indication that the fishery is unsustainable under the intense amount of fishing pressure. I think personally, Alabama did the right thing. They came up with some remedy, some procedures, some new regulations that would change that, turn it around. They offered it to the public. They got input, and basically what the majority wanted is the way they've gone. And what the result has been is they've, they've made these changes. They're going to go to a slot limit on speckle trout, similar to what we have on redfish. The, the low end's 15. The high end's 22. If you want to keep a trophy fish, one over 22 inches, one's allowed to be keep, to kept. It's only an inch change from 14 inches, what was previous. Uh, now, the bag limit is where the reduction came in. They had a 10-fish speckled trout limit. It is now down to six fish. Flounder population, which we haven't even addressed that in Louisiana yet, although there's a lot of empirical people the evidence that shows that the flounders may be awful. They bounced back a little bit in recent weeks. But Alabama recognized they to be worse shape than the trout, and they're going from a 10-fish bag limit to five. They're cutting it in half, and the minimum size is going up from 12 to 14 inches. They're also going to put in a, a spawning program for flounders to release juvenile flounder in hopes that they can restock the population. Uh, that's pretty much a, a, a tightening of the belt. Now, the question I would like us to discuss this morning is, if Louisiana needs to take some of these measures, will the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries handle it in the same manner? Will they put scenarios out for licensed speckled trout or licensed saltwater anglers to comment on, do some surveys, maybe have some meetings, take testimony at commission meetings, and get a consensus of what people will would prefer to do as far as, Taking a hit and tightening the belt, but at the same time being able to get out and continue to fish. Now I put a poll up last month and asking Louisiana fishermen if, in fact, you know we do need to make some changes. What would you prefer to see? And, and I'll run them down for the listeners who didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, reduced twenty-five fish, which is our present limit, to between ten and fifteen. Seventy percent—that was the overwhelming majority said they would take the hit on the total number that you can keep per day, drop it down as low as 10 or 15 from present 25. Seventeen percent would like to see the size increase from the minimum of 12-inch. Didn't say to what, whether it would go to 13 or 14, but every inch you go, you get a big return on the number of fish that stay in the water and get to spawn for the next year. Uh, only 4 percent. There were three categories where just 4 percent would like to see that one. Uh, Another was open and closed seasons, where you would actually close the season down for a specified period of time and, and you make it illegal to have speckled trout in your possession. That was only 4%. Another 4% said they don't want any change at all. They want to keep the 25 right where it is, 12-inch minimum. Uh, nobody wanted to limit the number of saltwater angles. In other words, put a moratorium on license sale. If you don't have a license and, you, and, and enough people don't get out of the fishery, there's going to be a total number sold, and that's going to be it. Nobody wants that. And to reduce from the 25 to less than 10 fish, as nobody in favor of that. And I'm not ruling that out of the possibility of what might be offered because when you look at what the average catch of the average recreational angler is, if you go down to 15 fish and they're not catching even half of that, they're not catching eight. Or 10, what goods is it going to do to reduce it to 15? You've got to make a deeper cut than that. And I personally think that that is not going to really sit too well with Louisiana anglers. The other thing that's going to be interesting to see, will they follow in Alabama's footsteps and give the opportunity to the fishermen to make a choice, uh, to maybe say, yes, we want to see it go from 25 to 10? We're all for that. Or do we want to increase the size limit? Or we do want to do some combination, like Alabama did. They put in both a slot limit and they also went up on the minimum size. So it may be a combination. Um, I'm hoping they will. Unlike what the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has done with turkey season, they give the users no no voice at all in the matter. They come up with what they think is a workable program, they issue a decree, and you like it or you lump it. And I hope that's not what they're going to do with these tackle trout. And I've said a lot, and when we come back from this break, Keith and Wendy, I want to get your take on it. What do you think Louisiana fishermen will buy if it becomes necessary to put these restrictions in? You listen to Hunt Fish Talk on the 105.3 FM, WWL, and also we live stream at DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. We're back right after this time out. And Welcome back in. Uh, this morning, we're discussing a couple of issues that took place in Alabama and how they might relate to Louisiana. The first is uh, their changes in their speckled trout and flounder regulations in order to remedy a under an overfished population of under-overfished. <laughs> they catch you too many speckled trout is what I'm trying to say. And on this show, we're old school, so we abide by the ladies first. Wendy, what do you think? Uh, well, what Alabama did fly here in louisiana
3: um i think a combination of things would but you know i get hung up on things like semantics don you just use that word overfished but that newsletter that alabama put out with all this information about these changes first off what what impressed me was that looking further into it alabama seems very confident that there's Stock assessments were done correctly and thoroughly, and I really don't have the confidence that we can say the same, because it was kind of a debacle we went through earlier in the year with a false start or a false report or whatever, and do we have any confidence in our stock assessment? Because something we've said on this radio program over the years is, show us the science right? We've said that over and over. So nowhere in Alabama's information did they use the words overfished. And I think when we use that kind of language here in Louisiana, people go into overdrive. We get an emotional response. We get a knee jerk reaction. And really we didn't, we talked about this last month. We didn't come to any definite conclusion of why those speckled trout and made the flounder populations down, but mainly speckled trout Because there was no mention in their report about BP, but, you know, Alabama mentions the BP money. They don't mention anything about the oil spill. But they just talk about facts of there is a decline, and it's not to an alarming degree yet, but we want to head this off. I just just really, really appreciate their approach, and I think we lack that here in Louisiana. I think we have too many question marks. About the information that we get, that we're getting, and how it's being arrived at. Are you with me? Does this make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. That's uh, a very keen observation that you made, and I completely agree with you. I mean, not only did they come up with hard numbers in assessing the problem, but they also gave some very hard numbers in what if this, then that. And I, I doubt. I'm hoping that we will see that from Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fisheries. I'm also hoping that we see they involve the users and they give you some options and let the population, the, you know, the, the fishermen decide what restrictions they would like to see before they go ahead and just decree these new laws that we're going to be faced with. But you're right. I mean, it's been pretty mysterious on, on the study they did. It came out and they said it's been overfitted. Oh, well, wait, maybe it's not. we got to do some more studying why? See, by law, they have real- to do these stock assessments right. by law every so often, periodically. It wasn't like they were hit with this, and all of a sudden we got to go get data and figure this out. They should have been accumulating and keeping this all along and keeping the tabs on it.
3: Well, Keep- and then they, they enlisted university a, a university in Alabama. I mean, are we working hand-in-hand with LSU? Are we using everything we have at our disposal, it just, you know, I just never would have thought this of Alabama. You, you know, we just think, of good old Alabama boys. But I'm impressed with what they're doing and they're attempting to do it. And maybe it's just all in the language. The person who wrote this release was just really concise. But you know what? in something as serious as as making a decision to, about speckled trout when it is such a huge money maker in south louisiana we need to be clear and concise and specific and accurate and we're not no we're not Please?
2: Yeah, I mean, I it's it's a catch 22 in Louisiana. I mean, I guess it's a good thing to see that it's not only us in Louisiana, you know, suffering with speckled trout and flounder, but on the other hand, it's kind of scary to see the same numbers that that we're seeing here match those in Alabama as far as the decrease in total pounds caught and you know, the breeding stock in, in decline for the past few years um kind of makes you think that the problem is on a bigger scale and, and maybe something um, that's that 's out of our hands, but look it sounds like they 've done their homework and they've they've involved the public, the actual people who who fish for speckled trout so it, it sounds like this is this is a move they have to make i just I just hate to see the the new reduced limit um of any fish happen because I know the odds of it going back to a ten fish limit you know they went from ten to six. And I think going back up to 10 is a very small. So I, I hate to see, you know, any kind of government tighten any any kind of noose, but the, the noose never gets loosened again. So I know that's how it usually happens. So I guess it's a good thing to see them do this. Um, as far as the, uh, how we handled it, the L.A. creel, Wendy, you said that uh, I think the L.A. creel numbers are very dependable. I just think it's how Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries handled the, the release of it. They, they released it. They were just kind of timid. So I don't think that the way they handled it should, should, it, you know, affect what, what your thoughts I'm, of of L.A. Creel.
3: No, no, I'm not L.A. Creel. I didn't mention L.A. Creel. I'm referring more to our stock assessments and the way we do that spawning ratio. All of that was questionable.
1: Okay, but the, yeah, the actual Creole numbers pretty much applies to the offshore fishery. Where the, uh, okay. the the study the, the, the stock assessment is done, supposedly it is done through a combination of data accumulation. One is they do fishermen surveys at the dock. When uh-huh. You come in and you see the asking questions. They take that information, but they are also supposed to do some samplings where they'll go out uh-huh. with gill nets. And they'll go to certain areas, and they'll go to those same areas and put the nets down for the same amount of time, same time of year, basically the same conditions, and kind of get a, 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 a put them next to each other and see if what the the measurements are. Will we get the same fish or the same size? And those two things are the two major things that they come up with on assessing what the stock is. Now, to me, that should have been done and been kept up because they knew this was coming and then it's almost like it's a UFO situation where the government knows <laughs> something, the public. but they don't. Yeah. They're afraid to tell the public. Like we can't handle well, it. We better not say right. this. So let's go back and to the drawing board and and, and, and regroup and, and get our story straight before we and find out what we want to release. Whereas what you said, Alabama is A B C D, is F G H, and it's it's all black mm-hmm. people. It's, numbers and you know what they did and what they got and what these changes will will produce for them where we're just like maybe there are aliens out there i don't know
3: (laughs) therein lies the problem again you know they're not shooting straight with the fishermen and asking for input they you know they held these meetings and they to enlist input as they put it to enlist input from the public from the fishermen to see what are you seeing and and of course that's opinion of course that's you know what do you want what do you desire but it's valuable because we are the end users we pay for the licenses Mm -hmm. we're the end users we're the fishermen we're the ones who are out there so our information is valuable and our opinions are important and i just haven't seen that done here and it's the cart before the horse when some kind of report is released based on what?
2: And Don, your your poll reflects that we are on board. Uh, you know, to, to reduce to fifteen, ten to fifteen fish, seventy percent want to do that. That's that's a clear, you know, signal that we know there's a problem too. Let's just work together and, and try to correct it instead of being divided and, and you know keeping secrets or, or UFO sightings like you refer to it as.
1: Well. Well, the question will be, will, will that get it? In other words, let's say they go to 15. Will that put back enough fish to keep the SPR at a at a, at a safe level and keep fish stocks there? Uh, it may not be enough. You might have to either cut deeper into the daily bag limit, or you might have to increase the minimum size or put a slot or, or do a combination thereof. But that's what people need to see in front of them in order to make their own personal decision. Um, the other consideration is, look, 25 fish. I see and hear a lot of advertisements going out to reach out to out-of-state fishermen. Come here to Louisiana, catch 25 per person a day. You know, load up on the fish. Uh, how much will that hurt the economics if we go to where it's now a 10 fish limit? You know, will will who yeah. will the general public buy that, or is that only going to be a concern of the charter captains? When are you were in the business? What do you? think the feeling is among the charter boat industry
3: you know i really don't know i would i really want to believe that we are all conservationists those of us who are out there and fish and even not just you know charter guides but recreational fishermen we're conservationists we respect the resource and we really by and large want to do what's best for the future of the resource and i do believe that
1: well, you know one of the things I did not put on the poll, but I have heard from a lot of people sending me emails and just in casual conversation around the docks is a lot of people say we gotta reduce that limit of those charter captains keeping their own limit while they're fishing, and you know they're the ones that's catching all the fish and When you look at the scheme of things, uh you know that is really uh infinitesimal the number of fish that those guys they are they're better every day. They're more experienced and they're more likely to catch fish than the average fisherman. But when you look at the total number of licensed fishermen that are out there putting baits in the water compared to those guys, they're just a drop in the bucket. And I don't, that's why I didn't put it on the poll. but I'll tell you what everyone who is not a charter captain and some of the charter captains are in favor of not letting a guide keep their limit or actually reducing the limit because then they can tell the client, you got your limit day is done. It's a lot easier for them. It's not as lucrative a draw to pull people in from out of state, but it certainly makes their life easier as far as what they're doing day to day. Well, Don, I want to say that
3: when we come back from the break, I have something to say about that. You
1: always got something to say. We love to hear it. I always do. You know I
3: do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Wendy Billiard, Keith Lusher, I'm Don Dubuque. Thanks for tuning in to more outdoors. It's Huntfish Talk time, and we're back to do more of it right after this. We're talking the future of speckled trout fishing in the state of Louisiana. And, Wendy, before we broke, you said you had a comment with regard to charter boat input and use of speckled trout as an economic engine for the state.
3: Okay, except that this this isn't about our state. We, We skipped our neighbor, Mississippi. So we didn't, maybe you knew, maybe Keith knew, but I wasn't aware of this. In January of 2017, the the Mississippi Commission on Marine Resources voted. Well, they implemented it, actually, in January 2017. They increased the trout size limit to 15 inches. I don't know what it was before, for recreational fishermen. And they prohibit charter vessel captains and crew from keeping a daily bag limit. The daily limit for speckled trout remains at 15 so they can only keep 15 the captain and the crew may not keep a daily bag limit and their minimum length is 15 inches so looks like our stump jumping neighbors have the jump on us already on this and something else that they said i wanted to read this to you Um, I don't know who's saying this, but somebody in the Mississippi Commission, somebody named Jamie Miller, Executive Director. Here we go. Our scientists ran several different models to determine the best way to increase the spawning potential ratio, and they found that increasing the size limit from 13 inches to 15 inches would produce the best results. We believe that this will help us to get a sustainable stock of speckled trout in the next three to five years. So... Next year, 2020, will be three years, and I will be interested to see if this has, um, you know, increased the spawning potential ratio, and how they're going to figure that out. So, you know, it's, you know, even Mississippi is ahead of us on this game. <laughs> I mean, really, well,
2: don't want 50, Mississippi. They to even Mississippi. Inches? Yeah. I'm sorry, the what? The minimum is 15 in- The minimum is 15 inches in Mississippi. Yes. Wow.
3: Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: that is tough there. You yeah. oh, think that the you know, it. how would they buy a, a raise in the minimum size? You know, I had 17% said they'd be in favor of going up from 12 inches, but how high up do you think they'd want to go?
3: Doesn't it have to do with the age and the spawning age and how many times they've spawned by the length of 14 inches? Yeah, I think it's that's tricky well,
1: biology there. Yeah, well, the theory on the 12-inch is that by the time a speckled trout reaches 12 inches, it will have at least spawned one time. Okay. Now, right. if you go right. up on a couple of inches, I, I don't know if that means it's going to get an extra spawn uh, or whether it just keeps more spawners in the water because you've got to release more fish. And then the factor of the mortality rate on speckled trout, the, the caught release is pretty high, especially those small ones. You know, you get but people I, fishing with big kale hooks and live shrimp, and uh, 11, 12, 13-inch trout swallows that thing. You got to really be careful to save that fish. They they are not as hardy nearly as a redfish or a bass as far as resuscitation.
3: But if we yeah, and when you right?
1: when you when
2: you adjust both, like Mississippi went to a 15, so a, a daily bag of 15 and then a 15-inch minimum size, that 15-inch yeah, minimum that's, size. that's, that's making up. it that tough to catch your limit. That's 15, yeah. I mean, that's like to say, okay, we're we're going to go out and catch our limit, 25 trout here in Louisiana, and, and they, you know, mm-hmm. it's 12 inches. Well, that's easy to do. Well, you raise it to 15, you know, <laughs> that's tough. That's tough well, to get a Well, that's why you live. don't well, you know, have
3: a whole lot of speckled trout charter guides in Mississippi, King. <laughs> Well, a lot of
0: them
1: come to Louisiana waters. They they fish Louisiana waters. They come over to the Biloxi Marsh and some of those areas over there. Um, But, you know, the thing about it is it seems as though if you you go up on the minimum size, you don't have to cut as deep on the daily bag. I think the two Mm -hmm. things work together. You know, uh, they might be able to go to 13 inches and keep 15 fish. But if they go to 14 inches, you might only be able to keep 10. Or vice versa. You know, the more fish, the, the the lower the size, the more you can keep. If we're doing 25 and 12, then we might have to go to 15 and 13, or we go to you know something you know in between that. I don't know. It, it's it, it gets tricky, but I think a combination might be better because then that satisfies you know not having to cut so deep on. If you keep it at 12 inches, they might say we got to go to eight or nine fish less than 10
2: well one thing that i noticed that alabama said they're going to do is uh as far as the flounder go and and they've already started collecting some uh flounder to spawn them they're going to spawn them this winter so maybe that's an option to help out uh i don't i don't know how you could do that with speckled trout but i mean talking just talking about flounder i think that's a great idea um if you could spawn them in captivity you can Uh, guarantee a survival rate of 80, 90%, you know, until they're released. Um, That could mean, you know, thousands of fingerling flounder being released. Now, I don't know how that translates into the wild, but it's worth a try. I mean, especially if you could do it with speckled trout. I don't, like I said, I don't know how tough they are to spawn like that, but I don't even know if there's any, any, effort to to do that but that that seems like an option as well they say they can release uh 50 thousand to 60 thousand juvenile flounder annually if this works
3: texas does it
1: well they've got a program in texas i I don't know i haven't seen the data on how successful it's been but it's been going on longer and you know texas has got it going and now alabama's you wonder how they fund these things i mean you know, we don't have any uh, spawning for saltwater species. One of them has,
2: fund it, they fund it with the hog baiting permit. That's how they. <laughs> oh <no,
3: it>. yeah. <laughs> um, I think Alabama no, I think said the, it was.
1: The hog hunters wouldn't like that.
3: <laughs> was um, federally funded, but on the Texas information, this um, they have a, a couple of different um, hatcheries over there. But the Sea Center, Texas. Released 25,000 flounder fingerlings into area bays last year, but here's the information. Don, they provide. Let's see, they're one of the most visible marine stock enhancement programs in the world. Annually, some 25 million juvenile marine finfish, which would be red drum, trout, and flounder, are produced and released in the wild. And it says. The Sea Center Texas is responsible for producing approximately a third of the Red Drum and one-half of the spotted sea trout stocked in the Texas hmm. water.
2: Hmm. Wow. That does cost money, though, like you said.
3: Well, and again, but you know, we have this beautiful facility down at Grand Isle. What are we doing? We have several hatcheries in our state. and. There was something planned for somewhere around outside Lafayette, another big, huge facility. I don't know whatever happened to that idea, but these are all things that we were supposed to be getting into. But yeah, restocking wouldn't that wouldn't that be part of the program for at least for flounder because other states are doing it and they're doing it successfully, and we're not. Well, that's what? an
1: excellent point. You know, uh, if you're spawning and releasing fish, then that might make you not to have to go so deep on the cuts of daily bag and the increase in size limit because you're compensating for, you know, you're taking more fish out, but you're also putting some back in. And they may be considering that, but, you know, we just don't get any information. They're not very media or user group friendly at Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. You know Everything should be out in the open and keeping you up to date and sending out weekly newsletters on what's happening in your state, what they're doing. they just kind of get behind the lab and you know we wonder what goes on back there we don't know
3: before we leave this topic i want to agree with you don and say that it really is such an easy tool in the hands of wildlife and fisheries to hold these public meetings and take good records statements um surveys whatever it is we need to do we can fill them out in person we can put our names on them but if you go to the public Fishermen licensed fishermen and you gather this information and you give the people what they want Then they can always turn back around and say this is what you wanted This is what you asked for you see and then it makes us responsible for the resource
2: And one more thing on the overfishing Um, It seems like the flounder numbers are reflecting, you know same as the speckled trout and if they say speckled trout's being overfished then what's the blame for flounder because flounder i mean you can't say they're overfishing flounder i mean nobody nobody specifically targets flounder i mean a few people do but flounder for the most part is a a byproduct we just catch them as as they come so i just think there's there's something bigger than, than overfishing and that could be a part of the equation but I don't know, if it's BP or something, now we're starting to see the flounder come back. That would explain uh, if it if it was in direct relationship to the BP oil spill. If they're coming back now, maybe they're finally recovering. But as far as overfishing goes, how do you blame overfishing on, on flounder?
1: I don't. Well, it could be. Flounder is considered a commercial fish. So it could be that the commercial, commercial fish, the trawlers, and that's how they oh. catch them, is in the trawls along with the shrimp. They may be targeting flounder more.
3: And if they have yeah. the license, they're allowed to sell them.
1: Sure. Correct. Right. Yeah.
3: And, and Alabama
1: reduced the limit. commercial. They reduced the commercial limit also. Correct.
2: Couldn't they Couldn't they just check the commercial flounder numbers though and see an increase, and that would That would tell you that they were they were being overfished on the commercial side. Uh, don't know.
3: It depends on if they have to do trip tickets on the flounder, right? They have to report what they what they catch. Right. I
2: think that could be easy to to figure out how much is being, you know, caught. Unless there was a big spike in commercial flounder catch, you know.
1: Uh, they didn't they didn't mention that in their release. Whether you know, they just said that they approved that They're gonna put a daily trip limit of thirty fish per boat. You know. On the commercial yeah. harvest.
2: I think it's bigger than you know, whether that was
1: in response to data that they had on you know flounder landings because that's supposedly. I mean, there's always going to be fudge room, but you know it's pretty well regulated because whenever you sell them to seafood, there's paperwork got to go along with it, and they keep pretty tight reins on it. So right. uh, I don't know where they were. Maybe they noticed that the, the, there was actually a, a lower landings on the on the commercial harvest end of it too, which is more evidence uh-huh. of overfishing, more pressure than necessary, so they put this limit on them. But be interesting to see. All right, look, we got to take a break and I uh, didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, they have a bait permit for hun- hunting white-tailed deer oh. and wild hogs in the state of Alabama, which has for years and years prohibited baiting for deer. Then they went to, and so did Mississippi, uh, kind of this well, I'm baiting, but I'm really not baiting because I can't see it. Where well, you could put it so many distance, You could be so far away from it, and it had to be obstructed by natural vegetation and a certain distance away. Well, now it's full-blown baiting like we've been doing here in Louisiana since time immemorial, and you just got to pay for a permit. We'll see what your thoughts are on that. We'll be right back to talk about Alabama's new deer baiting license, and they're on sale right now at a place near you. We'll be back <laughs> after <this. laughs> Blue well, this topic deals with deer hunting in Alabama, although it kind of relates a little bit to Louisiana. I'm going to ask the question should Louisiana have a permit to bait out whitetail deer feral hogs? Alabama, in this last legislative session, voted in favor of creating a deer and feral hogs bait permit. Uh, it will cost residents of Alabama $15. For us Louisianians out over there, we've got to pay $51. And that is per person. That is not per bait feeder. This is going to put an awful lot of money into the coffers of Department of Wildlife and Fisheries in Alabama. I do not know their total number of licensed deer hunters, but I'm thinking it's probably somewhere around 300,000. I don't know how many of them are going to pay this $15 fee, but it's going to generate a lot of funds. $15 in the scheme of deer hunting is nothing. By the time you buy Uh, pay for leases and equipment and four-wheelers and rifles and ammunition and and the feeders themselves and then tractors and seed and everything that goes into operating a deer lease. Fifteen bucks is not going to break anybody. Uh, They also leave the provision in, and, and this is one trend I think really needs to be observed more in managing wildlife. So much hunting takes place now on private land, course the management areas the public lands they stay pristine as far as record they don't allow any baiting they don't allow four-wheelers to go in there you've got to pretty much be a old school hunter if you're going to hunt those areas but on private lands it's kind of up to the club members or the leaseholders If, if they want to put corn out and that's the way they want to hunt they can do it if you've got a lease and you don't believe in that and you think it's Baiting and it, it's it's unethical to do that, to sit on a stand and draw deer in to eat and kill them while they come in there. You don't have to do that. Your club can vote to opt out of that. And then there's the middle-of-the-road approach that they've had for all this time where if you're 100 yards away from the bay and you can't see it, if it's out of your line of sight, you don't need the permit. It's legal to do it. Mississippi has the same regulation. Um, so I'm hearing from a lot of people in Alabama say, oh, it's just a money grab, but I think they – There should be a field along with this permit because I think what it will do is not just generate more funds to better manage the deer. It's also going to give them contact information with the people who are doing that. And they can contact them from time to time, do hunter survey results. What are you doing now? What were you doing before? Is this workable? Do you like it? Are you seeing it? All I can tell you about hunting with corn, and I've been doing it for a long time, a lot of it depends on the type of habitat you're hunting. If some of these people who say that's not hunting, it's unethical. You know, you can track their, their trails and follow the the scrubs, the rubs and scrapes, and and hunt deer in traditional way. Let me tell you, some of on my lease, you don't hunt like that. We're hunting pine cutovers. They're so thick you can't even see through them, much less walk through them. You basically got to cut you a whole out of clearing, and it's a small little area because the paper companies won't let you destroy the trees. And if you put bait in there, you got a shot at killing a deer. And I will tell you something else. If the club next to you has corn and you don't, your, your deer herd is going to suffer because they're going to get drawn into that those other areas. And I think I like it because I think it leaves it up to the discretion of the club members and the hunters. If you don't like it, don't have it. If you do like it, you can do it. And for 15 bucks, that's not going to break hunters. What are you thinking, uh, Wendy?
3: So, in Louisiana, that brings it up, if you're going to bait, that brings it up to $44, your license. 29 well is the, the other two plus it. another $15. Yeah, Why? if we have it. Okay, so what would, the, what would the $15, how can we guarantee would that go toward deer management? I mean, how can we guarantee that? Right now, there's not a whole lot of trust.
1: Well, they could dedicate it, but we all know that. <laughs> And their funds have a way of ending up in other places, so
3: well, deer hunting's not high on my list, however, I do have some family and friends who are avid deer hunters, and I didn't talk to them about this, but I imagine if they're if they're baiting deer and or hogs, they would pay the fifteen dollars to continue to do so mhm Keith opinion.
1: you know any uh, deer baiters uh, well,
2: let me let me just clarify something we it's free here in louisiana to bait deer correct right
3: on private land or at okay. lease.
2: right yeah you can't so do alabama. it on a lot like so alabama is doing the exact same thing but charging 15 dollars to do it right 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 exactly yeah see i think that's just that's a dangerous slope i mean when when does the government turn turned into a business to where they're just constantly trying to get money from us i mean what we just talked about was the speckled trout limit being reduced. I mean, what's the difference in bringing the speckled trout limit down and then charging a permit to catch twenty back to 25? See what I'm saying? How money infiltrates everything. It's just, I, I don't know. It just seems like to throw, and if they're throwing hog into this. I mean, I'm all for that. I mean, I'm, I'm for dynamite and hogs, you know, if, if you want to. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think, I just don't know where they're going with this as far as the hogs is concerned. I mean, they should be doing more. They should be paying hunters 15 bucks to kill more hogs. So I just don't know why the hogs is tied in with the, the deer baiting. I think that should be separate, but we're just being nickel and dimed. And, and I think it's an obvious money grab to me.
1: Well, as long as it stays within the, the, the biological uh program and it doesn't take away from the population see if with the speckled trout thing if you could buy a permit to catch more speckled trout that would fly in the face of, of, of proper management because they need to reduce it whitetail deer in alabama there's no shortage of them there's plenty of them i think this is just a, an argument over how we take them what method we use and yeah
2: again yeah. I, yeah, I maybe like you're right but, but you... in but alabama i mean Leave well enough alone. That's got the highest population of deer in the country. I mean, it it's a popular destination for hunters, you know, across the nation. Uh, man, I just I don't know. I think that's gonna I think that's gonna affect some things as far. That's a big deal baiting. I mean, like you said, if the club next to you is baiting, it forces you to bait. Basically everybody's gonna be baiting, you know? But that's just that's just my opinion. I, I,
3: is it possible I know, I kinda, that is, Keith, is it possible that the They've just instituted this, or are allowing it now. Is it possible that attaching a fifteen-dollar fee to it will keep some people from doing it?
2: Not if it affects you. Um, if 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 the, the club next to you is paying fifteen dollars for baiting, and you see your deer your deer population go down, you're paying that fifteen dollars. It's almost a guarantee.
3: And Don, you as yeah, a hunter.
1: Oh, yeah, it's
2: hunter. for hunt.
3: If, yeah. if you hunt yeah. in a club that baits, whether you bait or not by your stand, you have to pay the
1: $15? Well, if it's designated where everybody's got their own stand and you don't have any bait around you, no, you wouldn't have to pay for it.
3: Okay. That's up to the very individual then, okay.
1: Yeah, let's be, clear yeah. Why,
2: yeah. baiting uh,
1: is different individual. from a food plot too. Right, right.
3: I don't but think you it's know, going to stop uh, you, Hunters from paying it. I don't think it's going to stop
1: Well, them. yeah, and I don't see that they're going to try to implement it. Now, you know, if they would have done it when they first legalized it, which I don't know if it was one of those things that had to be legalized or it was just done and there was nothing to stop it or nothing against it. I think it was more of that situation. And now mm-hmm. to try to tack on a fee to do something you've already been doing for a long time for Correct. free, they'd have to come up with a strong argument to justify yeah. a cost to it.
3: And let's clarify that we are talking about Alabama is doing this. We're just speculating about how Louisiana hunters would react. Right. This is not. Let's just be clear about that. We don't want (laughs) to open a whole new can of worms.
1: Yeah, there'll be rumors started that Louisiana is going to start charging fifty dollars to put corn out for deer
3: and hogs. You know. So let's be clear. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I don't know if y'all saw the, the reef fish thing that they, they put a, a charge on the endorsement to designate you as going fishing for reef fish or regular fish, but that, that, that's another money grab to me. I know it's bringing that in late, but we can talk about that later.
3: Alabama's
1: well, you know, an hunters act. and fishermen, we've always been the ones that kind of pay our own way. You know, everybody that's else right. relies on general fund tax money, but with hunting and fishing, it's different, and people usually are glad to pay it in order to, to have it and enjoy that's it. Right. All right,
0: guys.
3: Hey, one more thing. Don, I started off the show saying what a great weather week. Well, it started with a little tornado Sunday morning, and I got some damage at Camp So, Oh, no. The week could only get better from there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, guys, enjoyed it. We'll see you all again next month with another edition of Hunt Fish Talk.
3: Have a great week. Bye.
1: All righty. All right, we'll be back again next week, starting at 5 a.m. with The Outdoor Show and wrap it up here with more outdoors. See you
0: then. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.